Rise up. Welcome to Rise Up Radar, where we keep the Falcons on your radar. Thank you for joining me, Stan Parker, for another episode. Let's have a ball and show. Back again with another episode, Mr. Todd Brooks. How are you, my friend? Stan, what can I say? It wasn't the best of weekends. You know, the Georgia Bulldogs lost to Alabama. Braves blew a three-to-one series lead. And then the Falcons won. I was really in on the uh, tank for Trevor. Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the players got the memo on that one, uh, Todd. I, th- I don't think the players got the memo across the weekend with uh, – with any of it, yeah, that's that was a tough. I mean, those four heartbreakers in one in the stretch of four heartbreakers in the stretch of two to, uh, four days or two days, two a, two a day. I mean, you had the dogs getting run over by Alabama, and then obviously the Braves lose two in a row, and then I mean heartbreaking three fast. in a row. They lost well they over lost the weekend. Three in a row. So if you, yeah, you're right. So, like, Saturday and Sunday, you know, you've had four heartbreaks in just those two days alone. So, uh, and uh, the heartbreaker of Sunday being that, you know, for some fans, not for myself, but for some fans, the heartbreak is the Falcons actually won. And not only did they win, but they won in dominant fashion. So, um, yes, that's my heartbreak. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's some, some, uh, some people, thought it was bad some people thought it was good so i mean uh we'll, we'll get into a little bit like you know where to go from here a little bit later on but um man what did you think about that game sunday man was that like how how surprised were you that it was a such a dominant performance somewhat surprised i guess the really the most surprising thing about it though was that we really shut their running game down of course they they're their top tailback, Dalvin Cook, he was out. He had that strain. Um, so, I guess it wasn't overly surprising just because of that. But uh, I was a little bit surprised that our passing game came back to life and it looked so good. Julio was back after a two-game absence and looked like he didn't miss a beat. Yeah, that seems to – I mean, that that takes away a lot of um, – I mean, Julio Jones went for eight receptions and 137 yards and two touchdowns because, you know, as good great of a – wide receiver is Julio Jones is on the all-time list. I mean, he's making a conversation for the all-time list. And uh, for being as good as he is, he really doesn't find the end zone as much as you would think that a a top-tier wide receiver should. And I don't know if that's a play style, and I'm sure there's other, you know, comparable uh, careers like that. But Julio Jones creates a lot of nightmares for a lot of defensive coordinators. And Cal- not surprisingly, Calvin Ridley was able to get back on track again um, with Julio on the field. So Matt Ryan had a good day. He only missed 10 passes, uh, 30 for 40 for 371, four touchdowns. It did not help my fantasy team enough. You had uh, you had this guy named Derek Henry did pretty good this weekend. So um, That's right. Yeah, he Me ran off. We're playing each other. <laughs> yeah, the the battle of the titans. Uh, Todd came out on top on this one, but uh, we'll see each other again. And um, right. so I think what was surprising for me was the turnovers. I think the, the the opportunistic turnovers that the Falcons. I mean, the first. I mean, we're talking twelve seconds into the game. Deion Jones gets as a clear pick. 
um, right off the rip. And that wasn't like a, a tip ball sack coverage thing. He just flat threw to the other team. Forgot they were wearing purple that day. I don't know what happened there. Right. And NFL is very much a game of momentum, as we've discussed before. And so the Falcons just took off from there. Similar thing happened last night during the uh, Cowboys and Cardinals game. Zeke Elliott fumbled a couple times. And from then on, it was just Arizona's game. Yep. Yep. So, um, so a couple notes, like in the first half, they were playing so good. And it's hilarious to look at the, the box score. We're not really used to seeing that, but like, uh, they've scored 10 points in every quarter, 10, 10, 10, and scored 40 points. Um, they did allow the Vikings to get some garbage time. Uh, actually at the end, they were, they were fighting to like keep them out entirely, which is, uh, which is good. But, seeing some pride there they held him to 23 points final score was 40 to 23 and i my prediction our both of our predictions were wrong like way wrong yes they were yeah i had them losing by like 10 i think somewhere around there so um i i think the surprising factor for me was the defense i had a goal line stand again um so what do you think it was? Do you think it was just them getting up for Raheem Morris? The Vikings are as bad as we think they are, or they're injury, you know, they're deficient at running. I think what happened – sorry, I didn't mean to run you over. But before you get started, I think what happened was their coaching staff outsmarted common sense. Not theirs as being the Falcons, but the Vikings coaching staff outsmarted themselves. They walked, in, walked into the locker room and said, hey – the Falcons are like dead last in pass defense. We're going to throw the ball all over the yard for them. And be like, wait, coach, uh, Kirk Cousins is our quarterback. Doesn't matter. We're going to throw it all over everywhere. And they're like, well, we run the ball like top 10. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. Throw the ball all the time. And so I think they kind of got into the, I don't know, I got they got outside of themselves and it showed. And then they, they never, could never really recover. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, Minnesota is a lot like Atlanta in a lot of ways. They've had heartbreaks this season. They just had a heartbreak last weekend against the uh, Seattle Seahawks, who seem like they always win all their games in the last possession. So, um, you know, they were kind of coming in with a heartbreak down on themselves, really needed that win so they could be a lot closer to 500. Instead, they were staring at one and four. And then the Falcons, I think they got up for Ray Morris. I think if anything, this game proved that Arthur Blank should have made the decision to let Dan Quinn go last year. I think it proved that. Yeah. Um, and like we've chronicled before that there's been such, such giant leaps from game to game and from half to half of like half of the season versus back half of the season. There's been such monumental differences and just in playing that, but it's, there's like zero personnel changes on the field like there's been I mean there's been I guess people coming off injury like Julio stuff but like no major changes and that is pretty astounding so uh I know there's some overrated talent there's some underrated talent there evaluating talent in the NFL is like are they as bad as we you know like I always wondered like in college football it, you know number three and number seven meet this year and then Georgia kicks the crap out of, you know, whoever it was, Auburn. And then, then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Auburn's looking pedestrian. So how weighted is that? Is like, does that matter less now because they're not good? I don't know. I just – sorry, that kind of didn't matter. But 
I mean, both teams are kind of just fighting for the same things at this point. They're both fighting for a top draft pick. I mean, there are – and we already – so we already pretty much, if we are tied at the end of the season, we've lost a tiebreaker against the Minnesota Vikings for a draft pick. Yeah. Yeah, and just kind of – like you said, you know, the, the, the 30,000-foot view of the season and where it's going is – you know, we're looking towards the end because Raheem Morris has got, you know, 10 more games to show us what he's got. And so um, next week is against the Panthers, if I believe, if I'm correct. No, um, I think we have another week. I, I can't remember who we played this week. Let me take a look at that again. It's, it's either. I think the Panthers are next week. They're oh, not this week. Oh, well, I got mine completely wrong. That's my bad. Um, That's all right. Let's see. Uh, Denver. No. Yes, Denver. Uh, no, Denver's in November. We're playing. Uh, man, I cannot remember who we're playing. I'm trying to bring schedule. I know. Jeez. Uh, we had Detroit. Detroit. De- Detroit. That's a <laughs> sad to say. That's a winnable game too. I mean, we're in a stretch of of, of a season here that, um, you know, I think you could pick up some wins and pick up some morale, and you know, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. Sometimes I'm like, hey, yes, let's win them all. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this winning thing. So, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, Detroit's had a, a kind of a tough start in the season. They're two and three. Um, they have a good win over the Cardinals. They beat them 26 to 23. But they've lost to the Saints. They've lost to the Packers. They've lost to the Bears. Yeah, that's not a very good uh, list of – uh, well, the losses are good. I mean, those are all good teams. Oh yeah, well the bears. Yeah, I, I take that back because I was like, oh the bears. Yeah, no, the bears are playing good now. So yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's a list. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. W- it will Dan Quinn co- uh, be a head coach again in the in the NFL? I'll ca- I caveat that in the NFL. I think he will be a head coach again in the NFL. It just may be a break for him. He may need to go back and be a defensive coordinator again for a few years. But I think he did get enough in Atlanta where he would get another opportunity to be a head coach. I mean, let's face it, Bill Belichick, he was in Cleveland, and he did horrible there. And then he was on Bill Parcell's staff in New England for a while. And then he got the Jets job, which he quickly took back. So – he could be the head coach of the New England Patriots and and look where they are now. So I, I think that personnel is a big part of it. I still don't think the Falcons have a lot of, of talent. Some of that is his fault. But I do think he's going to get another opportunity to be a head coach because it wasn't all bad here. Definitely the first three years were decent. Yeah. And then after that, it just wasn't as good. But, but the first three years were good years for him. Yeah, and I think, uh, too, just finding out what works for him and what – I don't know, or didn't work. And I think discipline, uh, learning, I mean, just having experience too. I mean, he's on this job for six years now. So you're going to be uh, just that much, that much better. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I'm with, the, I kind of on the same boat there that um, I think he'll go back to Seattle or I think he'll go learn under the tutelage of uh, the sensei, Pete Carroll. And then for a couple of years, and then he'll step out again. I think that's about it. Probably about about what happened. Well, what will happen? Excuse me. All right. Um, 
So, speaking of Thomas Dimitrov and the and not speaking of him, but Dan Quinn got his five up and five down last week, and so I think Thomas Dimitrov deserves his five up and five down as well. And so we does deserve it. We we're going to go through the list of five up what Thomas Dimitrov did good and five down of the not so great things that he brought to the Atlanta Falcons um the Atlanta Falcons franchise. So I'm gonna let you kick it off and I'm just gonna let you run through your five and then my and then your other five. Okay, so we're going to do the uh, five good first or the five bad uh, first? Let's, I like how we did it last time. Let's do five bad first. Okay, let's start it off then. Okay, so I'm going to go <laughs> from five to one. All right, so my number five is going to be controversial. Um, some people will not agree with this, but I will let you know that it will appear twice because it's going to appear in the good list too. So my number five is Thomas Dimitrov traded away a lot of draft picks just to get Julio Jones. Now, just to recap of that, he traded away five draft choices to get Julio Jones. So we ended up that it was back in 2011. So we traded our number 27 overall selection in the first round that year. Plus we traded the Falcons first round pick in 2012. In addition to that, we also traded away our second and our fourth round picks for 2011 and our fourth round selections in 2012. Those are fairly valuable draft picks. I've never been a big fan of trading away a lot of different draft picks um, just to get one player. However, it has worked out for Atlanta. Julio Jones has been a key piece, but the Falcons are messing depth all over the field. And there was a certain point there, especially after that 2012 season where the Falcons could have used those draft picks. It may have saved Mike Smith's job. So that I think that contributed heavily to Mike Smith leaving Atlanta in the first place. So that would be my number five. Number four, Thomas Dimitrov cut John Abraham after 2012. That's a big one for me. Okay, so John Abraham was still very productive in 2012. He had 11 sacks that year. Uh, obviously, after John Abraham left Atlanta, they didn't have a pass rush anymore. So that was a huge factor in the Falcons not achieving a whole lot for their follow-up season after 2012. They ended up going 5-11 and 11 or 4-12. and 12. So um, that was kind of rough. Number three, also controversial, but I believe it with all my heart, Thomas Dimitrov picked Vic Beasley over Todd Gurley. That's a big one. And, and the reason why is that, obviously, the Falcons did need a pass rusher. But when you have a player on the board, a special player that's – you know, the caliber of Todd Gurley, you really have to step up there and you have to grab that player because Todd Gurley, those first three years he was in the league, he was the most dominant running back in the league. And, and you know, obviously you could argue the longevity of the situation. Well, here's the longevity. Todd Gurley doesn't have a lot of longevity and neither does Vic Beasley. But Todd Gurley is still playing. Vic Beasley's not here anymore. He's in Tennessee. Todd Gurley's a shadow, you know, he's just a, uh, a shadow of his former self. Mm -hmm. But he's still decent. But he could have been dominant at that particular time and could have made a difference in that uh, Super Bowl run. So I think that's a big one. All right, number two. This is something I've talked about on the show a lot. I know that you know what's coming next just because I referenced that. Thomas Dimitrov drafted a lot of players over his tenure that were outside the Power Five. All right, so I'm going to put it in perspective for you. 
Now, I actually didn't think that Thomas Dimitrov had drafted very many SEC players, but he actually drafted a lot more SEC players than I thought he did. He drafted 20 from the SEC and the time that he was the Atlanta Falcons general manager. The league average over that time was only 15 and a half. So we were actually above the league average of drafting SEC players. But hmm. only two of those players were UGA players who have been utterly successful in the NFL. And we haven't drafted a single UGA player since 2011. Now, here's the kicker, because I've always referenced that Thomas Dimitrov loved those non-Power 5 players. He drafted 24 players from non-Power 5 leagues during the time that he was the general manager. Okay, I know there's some good players that come out of those leagues, but come on. You really want your Power 5 to outnumber your non-Power 5 ultimately. And you would really would think the SEC numbers, like your SEC players should outnumber the non-Power 5 schools. So that number is a little bit depressing to me. And then number one, Thomas Dimitrov consistently overreached for guys. Okay. So this past year, we drafted A.J. Terrell. I thought that was a reach. Got to pick Sunday. Hey, got to pick Sunday. It was his first interception of the year. Just letting you know. (laughs) Go ahead great he got one interception awesome all right so but i think we also overreached another situation i mean i think even keanu neal was a reach he's he ended up being good for those two years but i think he was a reach we could have probably grabbed him in the second round so that that happened a lot and it especially happened in the top tier of the draft first or second round when we really could have used a pass rusher on both of those picks and we did not go for a pass rusher we got a defensive back instead so that's my um top five there what's yours Stan okay so I have some some crossover it's hilariously um hilarious that some of our I guess uh friction points with with Thomas Dimitrov were pretty mutual all right so um in no particular order because I did I ordered them pretty horribly last time uh actually you know what I will go in order so number five will be um Peter Kahn's getting drafted and letting Todd McClure go. Uh, he was still uh, – Todd McClure is, uh, was an all-pro uh, center for the Atlanta Falcons, and it was really brought uh, – one of my favorite players of all time uh, really brought a mean streak and a nastiness to him. And uh, they had a really nasty offensive line, and uh, they, they drafted Peter Kahn's to take his role. And they, you know, Todd McClure was still serviceable and still good, and then they kicked – Todd McClure out and put in Peter Collins because dang it, he knew that Peter Collins was going to be the guy. And two years later, he's out of the league. So, um, and now they've been scrambling. I mean, literally, I don't remember what year that was, but it was, we're talking years ago. And they had been scrambling for an offensive lineman or a center until Alex Mack. I mean, they've had just a rotating door at center of being, so that is just, um, that is really frustrating. That's number five. And I, there's so many to pick from here. And I know I probably, we're probably going to miss some. So if you want to comment or whatever, feel free to leave a comment in the comment section, but this is my five. That's just stick out to me. I probably could have dug a little deeper, but this is like, Oh, if I just think about it. So I, and then number, number four is the same. It's not the same, but it's just an overall sense. That was a specific situation. The number five, number four is just neglecting the offensive line 
in general. I think uh, defensive line and offensive line. I know you've you've uh, chronicled the um, John Abraham debacle, and you could go into Don Terry Pose and this the you know Rashid Hagemans and the the rotating door there that didn't work. But if you look at the offensive line, <clears throat> the draft picks that he's made. Now there has been some hits, but it but it's the construction of the offensive line. There was one year. I remember that Dan Quinn had just – he I think it was his first year or his second year. No, I think it was his first year. He walked into that season within like like nine days left before the season started. They changed their entire offensive line. They they pulled in Andy Levitre. They got in you know, Chris Chester. Like they've, they've rotated so many things. It's like your offensive line is so important – there wasn't enough money spent on it, and there wasn't enough time spent on draft picks and things of that nature. Now, he did last couple times or a couple drafts ago uh, pick up, you know, Chris Lindstrom, which he looks like he's going to turn out like a solid player. But the Caleb McGarity um, might be, excuse me, might be a reach, um, like you said uh, before, too. So that would be my number number four. Uh, just neglecting the overall offensive line. Um, number three would be um, Vic Beasley. I know it's a really specific situation. Um, that really might be uh, my number one, but just having Vic Beasley, not only drafting Vic Beasley, but it was just the arrogance of it all and not just the arrogance and or the just not admitting that you got it wrong and was able to pick up not able to i mean you picked up his fifth year option is just basically doubling down on now i think he's going to turn around and i and i've definitely um i went on air and said that before too so but then um then we're going to got to kind of get into personnel moves like uh putting stuff around i don't know was thomas dimitroff involved at all with hiring Dan Quinn? No, I don't think so. I think that's something that Arthur Blank did on his own. Yeah. And so I think a lot of, a lot of my horrible decisions or a lot of my chronicled uh, things would be uh, a draft related. I put, I I went pretty high on my list too with Julio. Um, The Julio trade worked out, I think. I mean, not I think, but Julio is – we had just talked about it being on the all-time list, right? But I, exactly what you said, that was actually number two on my list, is not – that – it worked out okay, but you were so depleted and so thin everywhere that you've been playing catch-up since then. And I don't think Thomas Dimitrov as a whole has put together enough good deep drafts to uh, – like justify, I don't know, just building a, a solid a team of depth. And then number one, kind of arbitrary, but it really sticks in my crawl sometimes that that it's entertaining, yes, but it kind of ties into the same thing. He's had, I mean, I think it's only been one year, if I remember correctly, if it was one year of his tenure as a general manager that he did not make any moves. I mean, it was two not make any moves on draft day. 
team did so much moving around the assets in draft day that there again have left you depleted. And the really the cupboard is really bare. I think you'll have a full draft next. I haven't looked. I'm sorry. I forgot to look at that. But because, um, I mean, last year, you, you get seven picks. Everybody gets seven picks. We got f- five of those because of trades and everything else. And I know you're trying to, like, better your team and really get aggressive, but I think that really hurt the Falcons of being, like, a depth. That's my number one is so many trades and so many trades not working of just, oh, I think, like, trading up to – you traded away picks to get up to get to Caleb McGarity. And it carried the game maybe solid, but he's just that. He's the first he's a first round pick, Todd. He got drafted before uh DeAndre Swift. So yeah, that's that's crazy to me. So that's the my number one is the baddest. And now it's prisoner of a moment, I'm sorry, but it's uh just leaving destroying the team's depth. And I that's really harsh. I know I got really dark right there, but yeah, that, those are my five. It's not harsh. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there because the NFL – okay, bottom line is the NFL is not built with skilled positions either. It's built on the line of scrimmage. It's built through the offensive line and the defensive line first, and then you go skill position next. And and we always would go skill position first, and we got great skill position players. But it doesn't matter if you can't block anybody or if you can't get to the quarterback or you can't – you just can't get into the backfield at all. It, it, none of that matters. And, and, and because of that draft that we had for Julio Jones, a lot of that was just made into an impossible situation. We went all out on one player. And, and I'll say this, too. If you're going to go all out on one player, it better be a quarterback, not a wide receiver. Well, I mean, he, now I'm not saying – I feel like the Julio Jones some years became the Craig Kimbrell of the – the, the Falcons, it was a luxury you couldn't afford. Like, there's so much money tied. Like, you had you have a, a horse of a wide receiver. You have to pay him what the market is because he's the one of the – he's the best wide receiver in the league. But, like, at sometimes at the, where the roster is, is, you don't need that right now. I don't know. That's, that's a weird – I'm not turning my back on Julio. Julio is my favorite Falcon of all time. He's the best Falcon, in my opinion, of all time. He's going to – he at his position, he's he is on the upper echelon of wide receivers. We could talk about Rice, uh, you know, Rice, Chris Carter. I'm sorry, who's the uh, – Randy Moss. He would be in the conversation of those ten guys, in my opinion. So I'm not turning my back on Julio. But of the roster depletion of what's happening, not currently, but, you know – years past and currently too that it might be a luxury you can't afford so right okay so totally uh, agree so you're uh you're good give me your five up you got your five down for uh thomas old old td what's uh what's your good for uh old dimitrov all right so obviously these are mostly personnel moves these are largely individual personnel moves too but I'm going to go ahead and start with number five. Thomas Dimitrov brought Alex Mack to Atlanta via free agency. I thought that was a key move because at that time, you know, we went over the Todd McClure situation. You really needed a center and you needed somebody who could block. And he did both of those. And he was instrumental in that 2016 run where the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. Without Alex Mack, you would not have an appearance in the Super Bowl. So, so that is number five 
choice for me. Number four, signing Matt Bryant as a kicker. This sounds like, uh, you know, you put a kicker in here. What are you doing? Well, Matt Bryant, now, I don't particularly like the guy personally. He did push me around one time pretty good. But um, you'll never let he that was a down. Great will you? kicker. <laughs> no, never will. Never will. But uh, he he was one of the top kickers of all time. I think in the overall NFL scoring, I believe he is inside the top fifteen. So it, along with Morton Anderson, who was another Falcon, uh, mm-hmm. Morton Anderson's number two all time in the NFL scoring. So so Matt Bryan was definitely a key part of that. Able to hit those long field goals. You know, if we couldn't get a touchdown. Matt Bryant was definitely the choice to go to. So that was – he was a, a big signing, too. Number three, this goes back to one of the negative – because I'm just looking at the move as just a sole move. Drafting Julio Jones. Julio Jones has worked in Atlanta. I Like I said, I'm not big on trading players because it hurts your depth and you really need to build a line of scrimmage. But Julio Jones, the skilled position player, the wide receiver, it's one of the greatest receivers of all time. And – you know, at the end of the day, going back to the 2016 season, you don't have Julio Jones. More than likely, uh, Kyle Shanahan doesn't have his head coaching job with the San Francisco 49ers. You don't have the best offense in the league that year. Julio Jones paid dividends for it. Now, are we overpaying for Julio now? Probably. He's We're taking a big hit on the salary cap because of Julio Jones. But he's had a lot of success in Atlanta. One time we had uh, him and we had Roddy White. We had two of the best receivers in the league. So, uh, and, and currently, I think with uh, Calvin Ridley, I think we have two of the best receivers in the league. So, that was a, a key thing. Okay, number two, you're going to love this one because this is your favorite player, one of your favorite Falcons. Thomas Meeker brought Michael Turner to Atlanta via free agency. So, early on in, in this run, when Thomas Dimitrov came to Atlanta and Mike Smith was the head football coach, Michael Turner was extremely important because we were more of a grinded out type offense. We went to the running backs a lot. Michael Turner was explosive. He would run it in the middle. He would just stay off with it. And he did that for pretty much the next four seasons until um, <laughs> until we had a new offensive coordinator, and then we stopped um, running the ball to him so, um, <laughs> as much. I mean, he was still used, but uh, we, didn't, we, we just didn't really run the ball very much anymore. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we were more of a, a spread pass team. And it, ultimately, I think the, the style that the Falcons played from 2008 to 2011, it was a great regular season style of offense. But it seemed like it really hurt them in the playoffs. Like, they needed something more explosive with a passing game, and they didn't have that at that point. But then they got Julio Jones, and they did have it. Um, so that would be the number two on the five up. And then number one, Thomas Dimitrov drafted Matt Ryan. Now, I will admit, that when we drafted Matt Ryan, I was not a big fan of that decision. You know, what I knew of, of Matt Ryan, I watched some of his games when he was the quarterback at Boston College. He was a guy who threw for a lot of yards, played in a weak league, and threw a lot of interceptions too, uh, which he has somewhat carried over to the NFL. But he is the best player in franchise history, period there really isn't another argument to that. He is the best player of all time for the Atlanta Falcons, best quarterback to ever play for the Atlanta Falcons. Like him or not, there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people who do. But I think if you if you really look at the numbers, you see the truth, you see what he's done since 2008. Um, he used to be really good about leading the Falcons to victory at the last second. That's how he got that Matty Ice. Matty Ice. Yeah. 
he he's the guy. He's he's the guy. So that was the 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 biggest move that Atlanta, you know, really ever made as far as the Thomas and Mitroff era. Okay, that's that's a really really good list, and I've got uh, some of the same stuff um, in my list as well as the five best things that the uh, Thomas Dimitrov, I guess, accomplished in his with his time with the Atlanta Falcons. So, <clears throat> my number five was is going to be. Um, I know we we talked about it. It's exactly it's on your list as well, but uh, and I took a little bit of a different angle with it though. Uh, Alex Mack, the the signing of Alex Mack, and it was I think not only was it the the perfect fit of the personnel, like you said, someone that could be a center, that somebody could could block, but I mean it was a glaring need that everybody in Atlanta Sports Talk Radio was talking about. Like it, it's bad when like I said before, that when the national media picks up a story that we're in the weeds, me and you, I, I'll, I read articles and I watch stuff and I'm very in tune to the Atlanta Falcons. But when like regular ESPN people are like, yeah, I think the Falcons need a center. Like when that stuff starts rolling around, it's obvious. And sometimes Thomas Dimitrov, like before is either oblivious to the obvious or he thinks he's too smart for the obvious it, they've been needing defensive line help for a long time, and they've yet to, you know, spend their money really on the defensive line. But here was the offensive line, and he was able to go and get the name. We all were shouting because, you know, there for a while it was Khalil Mack or, you know, there was other defensive – like even Ziggy Anza was, a, was, was able – the defensive rush uh, – defensive end from – the Lions was available and Everson Griffin. So like there's names out there that everybody's shouting from the rooftop and it'll be completely silent from flower branch. But this time everybody was shouting, you need a center. You need Alex Mack. He's an all pro. He's a top three in his position and all that stuff. And it happened. That's something that um, that's why it's on the list. Number five is like of all the things he did, he listened to the people, he listened to what was going on and he pulled the trigger and was able to get, I mean, a, a really good deal. Now, he made it work for, for us. So, um, as a positive there. And, um, and then, so for, I went the 20, I'm about to pull it up too right now. The 2016, um, NFL Falcons draft, um, that year. Now, whether they're not, they're paying dividends right now, um, he found some diamonds in a rough and was able to um, was able to pull talent out of that draft where other people well there was some reaches there. So obviously, I, you've chronicled too before with um, with Keon O'Neal. He was the first round pick. Keon O'Neal had a Pro Bowl season. Um, he's now he's been hurt, but I mean had a magical year. But like that draft itself, you had Neal in the first round. Um, then second round, a second round pick, Deion Jones, still probably the captain of your defense. Um, and then number th third round was Austin Hooper, became a pro bowler, um, eventually walked, didn't get anything for him, and went and got a big contract out in uh, Cleveland, went to Cleveland. And then Devondre Campbell became 
I don't think he ever made a Pro Bowl, but he became an integral part of the the Falcons' um, lackluster defense. Led the league in, or led the Falcons in tackles. I think two or th- uh, at least two years in a row. Um, next to Devon, next to uh, uh, Deion Jones, and then uh, Wes Schweitzer, backup guard, and uh, then you had a wide receiver. But those those four four picks, um, I would say, rank in his it, as one of his best drafts ever. So um, there's that. Sorry, and then so that's the what number four for me. Yes. Okay, so and then number three would be um I don't know if I would go that there. Uh we'll go number three we'll go that's too low. Anyway, we'll do it anyway. Julio Jones. Julio Jones is number three because I got a surprising number one here. Um Julio Jones that's crazy that he's made two lists because uh, he is that uh, big of a player. But Julio Jones is the best wide receiver in Falcons history. He's just now currently – I mean, this year, in a, in a abysmal game, he passes Roddy White for the most wide, uh, receiving receptions in Falcons history. And um, he will go – I mean, he'll be in the – he'll be on the Mount Rushmore of wide receivers in my eyes forever – you know, as long as he'll have, he has a couple more good years left in him still. So um, bringing Julio Jones in and, um, and I don't know if that was so much of Arthur, but you know, I guess Dimitrov definitely pulled the trigger there, uh, bringing him in and uh, truly changed. They had Roddy White, Julio Jones, and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Douglas. So that was a really good trio there. And then Matt Ryan, and I've got them. So Matt Ryan, number one. This is how I did it. I did one and two. They're kind of combined. One and two. You could basically say the 2008 offseason. Because in 2008, they drafted Matt Ryan. And they brought in Michael Turner. And so that was a, a home run in itself. So Michael Turner was able to bring the thunder and the lightning. Matt Ryan is the best player. And I totally agree with you with that. He is, is – say what you want about – you know, uh, Matt Ryan, for whatever reason, he's a very divisive player. Um, you love him or you hate him. I love him. I think he – I mean, he's obviously the best quarterback in Falcons history, so he would go number one, and number two would be um, the bringing in free agent Michael Turner. Um, he was a need. Julio Jones – I mean, Julio Jones was – I'm saying – this sounds like I hate Julio Jones, but that Michael Turner was a need. You know, like – and there is an argument to be made, and I don't have any research on this right now, but you know, name the last name the last Super Bowl winning quarter Super Bowl winning team that had a true number one wide receiver. And um, I guess Kansas City did they? I mean, but they didn't have a one like a Julio prototype down the field, you know, number one receiver. So, but a number one back. Definitely. So, um, I think running back, as of right now, it's pretty crazy to even say this out loud, but running back is still an important position in the NFL today. But uh, number two would be Michael Turner for me, and number one would be Matt Ryan. 
So those are my three or five, five good that Thomas Dimitrov did in, for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I would probably say that, uh, just to answer your question, probably the last NFL team that won a Super Bowl with a number one wide receiver, it would have to be during the 90s. And it would either be San Francisco with Jerry Rice in 95 or maybe 96 Dallas with Michael Irving. Michael Irving. That's the one, one of I was, those two. That was the one I was thinking of. But I yeah. could you know, Larry Fitzgerald got close to winning one. Um, oh, wait, Hans Ward, but I don't think he, like, counted as – because I don't think he was the number one at that point. Right. I do, at that point, I don't think he was. Yeah, so – This was like, late in his career because this was 2007 when they won their Super Bowl. Right. So, he was almost done at that point. Yeah, even – like, so you run it back through, obviously, Tom Brady's Super Bowl. He would throw to anybody street clothes. Todd, you could go out there and catch some touchdowns from him. So, anyway, those are my uh, – the top five. This is – as a good list. There's a lot to dig through, but um, I think we found some, some good stuff. And um, uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you think um, – are we doing score predictions this episode or next episode? Let's do it next episode because we'll we'll break down oh, the, we'll break the down. game yeah, coming right. up this weekend. Okay, so we'll break uh, it down. You got anything else for the people? I will say that yes, we you referenced the 2008 off season. The 2009 off season though is the kind of the one I was looking at draft wise as being the one where we really reached on a lot of players. I mean, you go back and you look at that draft, Pierre Jerry was uh, oh, the number Lord. one pick from Mississippi. He was he was hurt a lot. William Moore worked out pretty well. Um, hey. Yeah, he was taken with our number two draft pick. Low-key, one of my favorite – so, like, you have the top-tier guys of, like, fake, favorite Falcons ever, like Julio, Matt Ryan, like, you know, your typical names. But, like, the lower-level, like, B-level layer of people, like, unsung heroes that are close to my heart – Willie Moe was uh, – he's one of my favorite Falcons ever. Uh, he had, he was a rapper, and he had a lot of YouTube videos out. Uh, Willie Always Ready, W-A-R, War. So, Willie Moe Always always Ready. I used to listen to that song on YouTube back when YouTube wasn't as YouTube as it is now. But, uh, yeah, it was – I remember William Moore. It was fun. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're right. So then the next three picks after that, I mean, they stayed with Atlanta for a while, but just nobody that really just stands out to me. You went uh, just – I'm going to go by the schools they went to. You went San Jose State in the third round, Richmond in the fourth round, and Furman in the fifth round. That would be Chris Owens, Lawrence Sidbury, and William Middleton. We went we went those three. I'll give you a nickel. And, I mean, they, they stayed in Atlanta for a while. I don't even know where Furman is. I can find one of them. Where is Furman? Furman is in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a private school in Greenville, South Carolina. You know way more than I do. I wouldn't, dude. If I had, if I, had, I would not be. If I sat down on the map, I would not be able to find Furman. I tell you that. Furman's not even that far from us. I mean, you could be there in an hour and a half. Wow. Okay. Just hit the road on I eighty five. Oh goodness gracious! And then like. And then the interesting thing is, like, the last pick we had there, Vance Walker was um, the number seven pick, and he ended up with 12 sacks for his career and played 104 games. And doing this research, just digging through drafts and stuff, you will you find at least one draft every year. 
that you only have six picks. You only have four picks. You only have five picks. I mean, there's no drafts of substantial, like what we were talking earlier, the Vikings had a 15-person draft. I, that might be a little yeah. hyperbole, but like it was more than seven, and we haven't had a seven-person draft in a while. I think we have seven this year. I think we, we have seven picks this year. We're good. I hope they we use them Coming all. Up. Now, there are some rumors going around, too. Oh, we might me. want to talk about this before we end the show. There are some rumors going around that the Falcons may be shopping Matt Ryan and Julio Jones before the trade deadline. The trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken, is November 3rd. So, uh, it's coming up. Um, it's coming up soon. And um, if, like I said before, if I had if I had to guess, there would be two spots that if I was going to shop Matt Ryan to it would probably be the Colts or the Niners for a you know a re a you know a rekindling or whatever a reconnection with uh, <clears throat> Kyle Shanahan. But then I'm thinking of this Julio thing. You just brought that on to me. On the fly, my first guess, and this I don't does this sound crazy or not? I don't know. I'm just gonna say it. It doesn't matter. Um, Baltimore. I think I think he might have a dance partner with Baltimore. I don't know. Uh, they need wide receiver help. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and uh, can you imagine Lamar Jackson with Julio Jones the same on the same team? I'd be incredible. Well, that was one thing that hurt them in the playoffs last year is they didn't have a really good wide receiver. It was just Lamar Jackson trying to run around with the football, and then, uh, yeah, that, he kind of ran out of luck come the playoffs. Yeah. Well, they were really good during the regular season, but For sure. I don't know if he can be a really good team without that wide receiver help. So that would be a good one. But you don't normally see a lot of blockbuster trades in, in season like that. Probably the NFL is the most silent one of all the sports. You'll see bigger trades in the NBA. You'll see bigger trades in MLB. But in the NFL, you don't really see that a lot. And also, you might see it. Uh, in, in the middle of the season, but you might, you know, in the off season, you might see a big trade. And I like Indianapolis probably wouldn't be realistic right now for this season because they have Phillip Rivers there. I couldn't see them going that route. But in the off season, if Phillip Rivers were to retire, then I could see Matt Ryan going to the Colts. Yeah, and so like you said too, like with uh, the NFL, that there's so much draft movement. I think that pretty much pr- primarily dominates the the the, uh, the trading. You know, all the, where all the trading happens is via the draft and on draft night. And um, I, I don't remember the Falcons ever making off the top of my head like a move at the deadline to get some someone of note. Like we we're talking about a maybe a blockbuster. I don't remember anything like that. So yeah, that's right, interesting. Usually you have small trades, and I think with the way their deals are structured too, like making a trade is probably gonna be difficult in season. Mm-hmm. But during the off season, especially when it involves a draft, you probably could could move right. some pieces around. Yeah, and so uh, the and did did they um, in that press conference that they had for the for um, the firing of Arthur uh, not Arthur Blank, but the uh, Dan Quinn and uh, Thomas Dimitrov, did they, they said they were going to get a committee together to um, find a general manager and a. No, they're not going to get a committee together. They're, Arthur Blank's going to go ahead and do everything himself. He's not hiring a search firm to do any of that. Houston's hiring a search firm for their coach. That's they're right. kind of the favorites right now to uh, 
end up with Eric uh, Benemini. I I don't know if the Falcons are going to be able to do it because Atlanta's not perceived around the league as an attractive job. They're perceived as a team that, with a lot of needs right now. So I don't know if you're going to be able to get him there. He would be crazy to probably come here when he could have Deshaun Watson, JJ Watt, Houston, and and JJ Watt, and yeah, you know, and they have a lot of good players. It's not just those two, but those that's definitely two of the centerpieces of the franchise. Right. And they, like you know, we talked about earlier. The, the cupboard seems bare. We we're we're in the weeds. I talk, I read about, and I watch the Falcons all the time. But like the public perception and the league perception is that the cupboard is bare, and this is maybe not a destination so much as maybe I think it is, or whoever is to come here. So I'm hoping it's not a situation as you know. I feel like we pulled the trigger a little early. If you remember the Dirk Cutter sweepstakes, that Dirk Cutter was almost an instant walk-in at OC, and uh, it came out, I think, last month or at some point this season that um, Gary Kubiak was waiting on a phone call. Gary Kubiak was like, yeah, I'm interested in the Falcons. I I would love to go to the Falcons. And and, uh, they never – I think he got blocked too, some weird stuff there, but, like, Falcons never reached out to him, so. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, so let's talk about Raheem Morris for just a second, okay? In your opinion, let's say that Raheem Morris finishes as with a winning record in this interim coaching that he's doing right now. Let's say over these last 10 games, 11 games, he finishes with a winning, with a winning record. Is he a so real candidate for the position, in so your opinion? So that's six, seven, so he finishes seven and nine. Or is he, it doesn't matter. Well, he, he wouldn't finish. He wouldn't finish seven and nine. No, but he would. The team would. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, the team might. I can't figure out the math right now. I'm just talking about him individually. Like if he was uh, oh, seven okay. and four to end the season himself. Okay. So he, is that is that enough? Candidate. Is that enough to become a candidate? Well, Mr. Blank himself, I think, alluded to if he goes eleven and zero, about the only time he's getting a candidate yeah. being a candidate. Other than that, you know, don't let door hit you. Yeah, he's a, split you. Um, to me personally, I mean, I think you, I don't think so. I think even a seven and four. Now, if we get the magic now, if you go 11 and oh, like our, Mr. Blank said, and if you get the magic, we could talk, but uh, no, I think you need, I think you need a fresh new house and it might be unfortunate. He might go to whoever needs a, a head coach. I heard the Cowboys need a head coach. He might go to the Cowboys and be the next Bill Parcells, but you need you need fresh fresh eyes and a fresh face in here. In my opinion. Hey, he's not gonna he's not gonna go to the Cowboys. They just hired Matt McCarthy last year. Surely they wouldn't just be a one year and split though. I mean they they look pretty horrible. I'm just saying, you know, Jerry Jones is known to be irrational. Yeah, but they looked horrible with Jason Garrett and he was there for over a decade and they didn't do anything with him. That is a good point. Yeah, Mike McCarthy's only been there for – and he's got experience going to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't think he's that great of a head coach. I thought it was a very overrated hire, hire in the office. It was an improvement over what they had, but he's not – he wasn't just going to instantly get you there. Now they don't have a quarterback. They're suffering from injuries. They've got um, Andy Dalton. So, there, and Andy Dalton's a guy who's had regular season success, but he's never been able to have playoff success. So like, when he got Cincinnati to the playoffs, they would always get blown out. Yeah, and, and too, you like, think, too – that that uh, McCarthy, uh, Aaron Rodgers, one of the best. 
you don't I don't really know where to put him in he's one of the most talented quarterbacks I have ever seen of on the run throwing it on the rope like that guy you've got that guy and that general manager and that head coach only won one and I know they got one and the Falcons don't have any but like you got one Super Bowl out of him and they he was there forever Yeah, so their former general manager was Ron Wolf, and Ron Wolf's son has been touted as a general manager candidate for NFL teams during the offseason. That'll be an interesting one to watch for. Um, I have heard Nick Caseco and Josh Daniels mention with the connection with the Houston opening team. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm a little weary of those Patriots guys. Um, but if they bring in bring in some winning and bring in some I'm I'm a big proponent of vision. I know what our guys should look like, and we're going to mold this team around what our guys should look like. I'm a big proponent of knowing what you want and going for it. I applaud Dan Quinn for shooting for what he was shooting for. But um, if if Gary Daniels and the other guy, uh, you know the one, I can't even pronounce his name, but if they come in as a tandem. Josh Daniels, Nick Koseko. Caseco, yeah, if they come in as a tandem and they work well together, they have a plan, they're going to move it forward, then I'm cool. So, uh, But I do get weary of that. I, I'm fine going back to the Patriots' front office again if we need to. I mean, I know Thomas Dimitrov came from there, but the Patriots draft better than any team in the NFL. I mean, I knew that when Tom Brady left to go to Tampa, they would still be okay because they've had the best – uh, they've had the best general management and coaching over the last, what, 20, almost 20 years now. Right. I mean, that, that's been that they've had the best evaluation talent. They never have any playoffs picks. like twice. They, yeah, they've only missed the playoffs twice. And they always find a diamond in the rough at the end of that first round. They'll always draft a, you know, a Georgia player, for example. You know, they'll end up with a Sonny Michelle or, uh, you know, I'd say to say it. So yeah. they always go for, they've drafted a ton of Georgia guys, by the way. Over oh, man. The the, so I'll, I think that's really their secret. <laughs> That's why that was that's the whole reason. <laughs> yeah. Falcons with only two Georgia players over the last twelve seasons. Who, I don't even seasons. know who they were. Who who were they? Okay, so one was Thomas Brown. He was drafted in two thousand and eight and he never even he was on the practice squad and he never even saw any action. He was drafted late too. I think that was a um round six pick. And then the other player that the Falcons drafted – let me look here. Oh, we went with Akeem Dent, a linebacker. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in 2011. He didn't really work out. No, he really. stayed on team forever, though. Jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. That yeah, was he played when, uh, 90 games for the Falcons. That was back when Paul, Paul Warlow was starting. That's that's yeah. bad. Yeah, that's a, that's a piecemeal linebacking core. Sean Weatherspoon, Paul Warlow, and Akeem Dent. Yee, what a crew. All right, Falcons fans, look forward to our next next podcast, the next episode, and look forward to our next matchup with uh, the, the the Detroit Lions. Todd, what do you guys? What else you guys say to the people? I know we said a lot to the people today. Well, I have one more thing for you, actually, because I'm okay. I'm getting very immersed into the uh, NFC East division. Oh gosh, that's a terrible division to be immersed in. I know. What do you think will be the final record of the divisional champion of the NFC East? Uh, I need to do some math here. So, six, 16, 
minus six minus one is so it'd be six, nine, and one. It's my prediction. So you're gonna have a tie. So you're gonna are you it must be picking the Eagles to win. I am. It's and that's bad. I, picking the Eagles. I just took a random shot there, but I mean that's not a I wouldn't bet on any of that any you degenerate gamblers gamblers listening but yeah i'll take the eagles like i reckon but yeah they're gonna win the division with six six wins that's and and in the in the year that the, the playoffs have been expanded it's gonna look funky again we've had these years in the past where one t- one division will be up and the other v- division be down it happened a lot out west with you know the Bengals getting into the or not the Bengals, but like like the Niners winning or their old bad Rams winning the division with, you know, seven wins and the Falcons or the Saints miss the, the miss the miss at, you know, win eleven games and never it won't make a playoffs. So uh it's gonna be the same situation. The the win division winner there is gonna win six games and there's gonna be an eleven win team somewhere and miss the playoffs. Well, currently Dallas is two and four in that division, and they're the leader. Philadelphia has moved back into second place. The Falcons just need to pack and up four. and move out east, man. They they'd be right there in the in the hunt. Yeah, they'd be in the thick of things. They'd be in uh, tie for last place with uh, the New York Giants and Washington right now at one and five. See, there you go. And see, New York Washington don't know what they're doing either. You know, they can't decide if they like Haskins or not. <clears throat> And they spent all that, you know. No, New York, New York's probably going to be looking for another general manager again. And well, Washington, I don't know. I mean, they just they need a lot of they need a new owner. Probably they need an owner, just he's, a new owner. Yeah, he's a scum. Yeah, Dan, Daniel Snyder's never worked. He's a joke. He's a that is you know. And I'm a very positive person, and I don't harp on anybody like personally, but he seems like he's pretty sleazy. I'm just saying. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, go Falcons. First win this past weekend. Lose the rest of them. Get that oh, Todd, where did you go? What happened? Look, Stan, the Falcons are not playing for anything other than respectability. I don't want a third strike. We, we look, the Falcons already could have had higher draft choices. And they won these last couple of seasons and pretty much forfeited a higher pick in the draft. I mean, that win against Tampa Bay they had last year really hurt the Falcons because we basically traded draft slots. Yeah. I think you split four spots one game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we we need a high draft pick. The only way we're going to be able to build this team back up is to get a high draft pick. And and where you go, I mean, right now I think – quarterback still realistic because right now the Jets are the only winless team in the NFL that's left but you're competing with Minnesota the New York Giants the Washington Redskins um really those teams uh, those are the teams you're competing with right now for that number you know two or three pick probably won't get the number one I I can see the Jets really going winless yeah I, I I was just about to say that I think the Jets have the goods to go defeated I think they're yeah. they are that good at being horrible that uh that you look on that if you like turn it on on accident like oh who's on like oh it's the Jets if you watch like uh, like four minutes of that game you just look at the sideline it looks like they're zombies over there like at least the Falcons are like yeah first down 
the Jets are like staring at each other, like, it's crazy up in, you know, up in New York. So I guess we would play New Jersey, but yeah, um, they're a pretty bad team. They play in Newark, but it's right there. Yeah, Yeah, they play in Newark, but it's right there. Newark Um, is New York City. Is it? I thought it, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's in New Jersey. It is in New Jersey, but okay, New York yeah. is is basically a suburb of New York City. It really, it truly is. Huh. Well, um, yeah, I think uh, my my final words to the people too is uh, let's go Falcons. Um, it's more so about keep your head up because changes are coming, and. Um, we're going to lay some the foundation for a new franchise moving forward. And uh, there might be some significant changes. I, I may not be this week, but um, there will be some significant changes in the near future for the Falcons. So stay tuned for that. Uh, One more thing, too. I thought about this with Trevor Lawrence. Since looks like we're in the hunt, but not really in the hunt because we need the Jets to lose again. But what if the Jets do end up with Owen 16 and Trevor Lawrence decides to go back to school because of it. Or, or a people don't think about, remember this, but the Eli Manning situation where he refuses to play for the jets or hmm. I, I don't remember who it was, but there's to be, I can't remember who drafted him anymore. I but, can't either. Yeah. It's kind of, it might've been San Diego. Um, yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah. It's uh, and I think John Elway did that. I think, uh, Eli Manning did it, and and there was talk that Joe Burrow was going to do it. He got uh, talked to by somebody who did it. I'm getting my stories mixed up too now, but it was somebody prominent. It wasn't Peyton Ma- or Eli Manning, but it was somebody that sat down and with him and had a closed door conversation. They said, "Hey, man, you have the leverage right now." that you could possibly refuse to play here and, and people got on with their lives. It's like you think now with social media, people would just lose their ever loving mind if he refused to get on. But like people don't even remember that happened with Eli Manning. Well, Joe Burrow was from Ohio originally too. So I never really thought that he, they suck. that he would. Yeah. I, I really didn't think that he would decide to, play somewhere I, I thought that he would still go there he though he may not want to go to Cincinnati because they were a bad team but he could build something there yeah I mean it's true I mean he'll be you know the savior riding in on a white horse I mean they they will they will carve his name into the Mount Rushmore of the Bengals franchise which don't have very many players up there so uh, uh, yeah <laughs> he goes keep your to- eye on Joe Brady though keep your eye on Joe Brady because I'd like to have a head coach in here who has worked wonders with a team that's not very talented. That's where I think the Carolina Panthers are right now. Offensively, they've been a lot better than everybody thought they were going to be. He's getting them up to play, and they look coordinated. They don't beat themselves. So um, that's that's a very important, you know, aspect of a team that may not be as talented as, you know, they could be or they are, you know, or as talented as the other teams. So – Yes, t- changes are coming. Uh, rise up, everybody! If you like what you heard tonight, if you uh, if you enjoy the show, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. 
like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, Rise Up Radar. And until next time, Falcons fans, rise up.